Okay, hey everybody, welcome back to Virtual Coffee. This is Esty, and I have a change management expert here today who I'm really excited to talk to and learn from, and um, her name is Melanie Franklin. And um, Mel, is it okay if I call you Mel? Absolutely. Okay, and um, why don't I let you just um, introduce yourself? Thank you, Essie. Um, I've been working in change and transformation for about 30 years. I started as a business analyst. I moved into project and then program management. Um, and then I moved into realizing the benefits of all the project investments, which was the secret source for that is that you actually have to deal with all the behavioral change. So I've, I've done this for 30 years. I'm so passionate that I co-lead the Change Management Institute in the UK. Um, I've written eight textbooks and one of them, the Agile Change Management book, has become the set text for a new global qualification called Agile Change Agent. Um, I'm running that in the US next week on US timing. So living here in oh, Spain... Cool. And uh, finishing, um, I'm running it between 4 p.m. and 1 a.m. my time, but I've done it before and we've all had such a laugh. Um, but I'm the chief examiner for that global certification. So I do try to commit to providing training courses for people um, every couple of months. So I try to do my bit. Um, but in between all of that, um, I'm actually um, responsible for running a number of transformations. At the moment, I'm doing three major transformations. One's UK US, one's Middle East and one's global. Um, and it's all about trying to shape the direction of the transformation, help the C-suite to um, identify what they're going to be doing and running it in a very agile way, which means that we keep coming back to the table very, very frequently to check our understanding, to check the results of what we've been doing and to talk about the, the bigger picture and, and how things are evolving. So I really do live and breathe this stuff, to be honest. You do, and you did such a better job of introducing yourself than I could have, so thank you. <clears throat> um, so I'm, I, it's actually a good pivot, and I'd like to ask you just to give us a little bit of a, I, I'm familiar with change management, and I'm familiar with the agile approach of, of rolling out um, software, um, but could you explain to us like the difference between agile change management as opposed to other approaches to change management? Well, I think as far as any change is concerned, um, if we're going to take an agile approach to it, what we're, we're already sort of agreeing is that we are not conceiving the full detail up front. We are not planning everything in detail up front. And what we're accepting from the very beginning is that this change is going to evolve over time and that we're going to do it in waves of change. Now, there's some fantastic stuff that comes out of the world of Agile that helps us to structure those smaller chunks. So we might call them iterations or increments. Uh, we could call them sprints if we wanted to. So the, the, the general idea of setting a time frame and getting as much as you possibly can done within it using things like Moscow prioritization is all great. It's, these are fantastic techniques. And it's applying that concept to not just a, an individual project or product that you want to create, but actually the overarching difference that you want to make. Um, and that is a, a much bigger scale because you're looking out into the future. And what you're trying to do is make sure that you can sort of identify some of the changes you want to make early on, have some ideas about the bigger picture, um, but recognize that you're going to make some sort of short sort of shifts in the immediate future. And then you're going to evaluate the feedback from that. 
So I think it's it's making sure that we use the overarching agile concept that we don't plan everything up front and that also that we collaborate. And I think this is what's really important for me um, in that I'm bringing together those from the project management side who are doing the tangible change, if you like. They are creating for me new processes, new systems. They are procuring new platforms, whatever it is they are doing that we are investing in alongside those who are impacted by it and are going to have to work differently. And they've got just as much work to do. But it's hidden work. The idea that they've got to rework all of their processes, uh, maybe redesign some of their documentation, maybe start talking to their customers or suppliers about how things are going to be different is a huge amount of work and it goes under the radar. Whereas in agile change, you are bringing together both the project, the actual tangible change, plus you're bringing together the, the behavioral change. And it's the two that come together that I think is what actually realizes the benefits and it yeah. really does deliver the early return on investment wow yeah i mean normally those things feel like they happen independently of each other almost like the people that are that are planning the the tactical and the strategy are sort of detached from from the users or the people in the trenches that are actually going to be implementing the change yeah, we're trying There's to avoid the them and us, I think. That's the thing. It's not yeah. them over there doing something to us over here. It's actually true collaboration, which Agile has always had at its heart. But I'm not mm -hmm. sure it's always done a great deal to sort of say, well, how on earth are we actually going to achieve that? Whereas I think um, certainly in the Agile Change Management textbook that I wrote, it was about bringing together um, a simple plan that shows how both of those forces come together. But also, this is your area of expertise, going into the emotional intelligence elements um, of actually, you know, how do we make that happen? How do we build the trusting relationships? How do we come together? Because one of the other yeah. things that's really bothered me is that there are an awful lot of methods out there that tell me how important stakeholder engagement is, stakeholder communication or stakeholder management, any of those right. three phrases. But it never says, yes, but how do I build a relationship? Yeah, and empathy and, and you know, empathy for the experience that they're going to go through. Yeah. So, so how do you um, do you do coaching of your your change agents? And I imagine you've got um, I guess I'm making some assumptions, actually. How would you coach a change agent to build empathy um, for their customer? I think the first thing that I do um, is we get into the basics of what on earth is empathy and, and then you get into that touchy feely stuff and all the emotions <laughs> and you think, oh, good grief, how are we going to do this? And I think where I come in is I, I take these concepts, these ideas, which everybody nods along and says, oh, yes, that's very important. But I think what I do, um, and I've just spent several days doing it for, for an energy company here in the UK, is that I, I try to break it down into a, a recipe that you can follow. Um, simple steps, things that you can do that if you behave in this particular way, if you use some of these techniques, you will be more empathetic. You will build better relationships um, with those that you're you're trying to engage with. So I think, first of all, I mean, there are some there are some really simple things, but I think we have to start with the idea that you have to know yourself. Um, and I work a lot with people to get them to really think 
what kind of work do you like doing? When do you like doing it? How do you like to do it? What are your emotional triggers? What makes you really angry? What makes you really happy? Because all of those factors will put you somewhere on a spectrum for how you behave during a change, how you get things done. And as soon as you've you've captured that about yourself, which everybody loves doing, by the way, I'm sure you find that in your own practice. People love discovering about themselves. But I think <laughs> it's true. Yeah, they, they really love that. But then then I pose the question that says, well, look, if that's you and the specialness that is you, can you conceive of the idea that there are other people who are almost the complete opposite of you, that whatever spectrum you're on, they'll be at the other end of it? And what I need you to do is to therefore think about how you're behaving, because that works for everybody that's like you. So everybody who sees the world the way you do, you're going to get on fine with them. So that's great for relationships. Now, what I need you to think about is the equal yet opposite for everybody who's not like you. So simple things um, like how do you um, like to get your information? I'm a big picture person. Give me the big picture. Give me the bigger concepts. And if I want to, I'll dive into the detail. But I work with some fantastic people who are absolutely um, details focused. And what they want from me is they want step by step by step. They really want me to focus in on the detail and they want it laid out in a very orderly fashion. And I think, right, okay, that's quite that's not how I would choose to do things. But the important thing when it comes to shepherding people through change is not to do things that just meet my needs. My job is to meet the needs of everybody because change can never be successful if you've only got a few people who've bought into it. That's not sustainable change. I mean, Professor John Cotter talks about, you know, a sense of urgency and getting sort of 75% plus of managers on board. Well, yeah, the the guiding coalition has got to be quite powerful. Um, And the, the point is, I think, that you have to therefore, that the empathy piece is the first thing is to recognize this is the magic that is you, but there are people who see the world completely differently to you. What is it that you are doing to actually meet their needs? So carry on working the way you work because that meets your preferences, but just make sure that every time you do a piece of work, can you think of almost the equal and opposite of it, um, that you could then do it in a, in a completely different way to meet the needs of somebody else? So lots of self-awareness and... Yes, I think you have to start with self because you can't. I mean, um, Professor Daniel Goleman, when talking about emotional intelligence, has always said that, you know, you have to start with self-awareness and uh, you've, you've got to understand how you come across what your preferences are, because if you can grasp that and it's always easier to grasp things that are about yourself. If you can grasp that moment, you start to realize, okay, okay, so if that's me somebody else is completely different and then I think that starts you on a very powerful journey about how do I curate the messages that I put out I mean I've got some very big things to say in a board meeting later on this evening Um, Mm -hmm. and if I just state Mm -hmm. them in whatever way comes into my head um, I know because I'm working with people who have very different preferences to myself about how they like information and how they like to take decisions that I'm not going to win them over I am not going to get them on board I am not going to develop a a two-way relationship with them so I've had to work very hard today to to look at the the bigger picture I, I know where I want to get us to 
But my job is to think, okay, but actually there are some people around the table that don't want to hear the sort of the anecdotal evidence. What they want is cold, hard facts. So where are the financials? Where is the data analysis that will give them what they need? Not what I need, but what they need. And I think that's the the joy. That's what's it. I find this incredibly intellectually challenging. This is the big part of my job is being half the time being not me, but trying to meet the needs of somebody else. And it's a constant struggle. It's it's not easy when when Brené Brown does a fantastic video on what empathy is. And it's all about this idea of perspective taking, taking the perspective of somebody else. Yeah, that's so hard to walk in the shoes of somebody else. I I was saying on my class yesterday, we were just talking through the practicalities of this. And I sort of said, just think about the amount of time and effort it has required. It's almost as if I've had to do the work twice because I worked out for this board meeting, for example, all the things I want to say. And then I've I've had to recast them in a completely different way that meets the needs of the people around the table. Exactly. That's not easy. It's like a muscle, uh, you know, it's, it is like building a muscle. <clears throat> I, I um, think so. I think there's, and, and I think with all muscle building, I'm no Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I get the general gist, it's repetition, <laughs> if nothing else. Um, right. And I think, uh, I think there are two mm-hmm. elements within the framework of emotional intelligence. Again, it's all about breaking this down into uh, ingredients, the part, the recipe, break the recipe into ingredients that people can can catch hold of. And I think the first is um, positive psychology and, and the world around positive psychology. So I did a, a big exercise yesterday. Um, I had over 30 people uh, with me in the Zoom room. Um, and what we were doing was we were looking at finding the positives. So at the end of the day, it was all about can you practice looking for the upside? No, no, don't tell me, don't tell me the bad stuff. But as a, tell me, look at it from a sort of rose colored spectacles, look at it from the bright side. I need you to practice that. And we did lots of things like we did a gratefulness diary. Uh, we did a scrapbook of compliments that people, if, you, if somebody says a nice thing about you, um, that you print out that email or you, um, uh, you, you, Uh, do a screen print of the recommendation in LinkedIn and you physically print it out and you put it in a scrapbook so that you know somewhere in your office there's this sort of pile of positive remarks about you so that when you're really down you've got something to look at yeah um I, I was saying I didn't look I haven't looked at my scrapbook since before Christmas but I know it's there and when I'm having a really awful day I do notice that my eyes drift to that cupboard where it is Um, And uh, we looked at um, the importance of retelling success, because in retelling and reliving a success that you've had, it actually builds up that positivity and it reminds you that actually you were determined, you, you were resilient and you managed to get through a challenge and you came out the other side. Um, So I think there's, um, I'm doing some uh, work in, in, uh, later this year on neurohacks, which is neuroscientific sort of shortcuts for for how you put yourself in the right frame of mind and how you help others get into the right frame of mind. Because I think whatever um, uh, sort of structure of change, so if we've got an agile change, we've got 
waves of change coming. Um, mm-hmm. And you have to build up people's ability to cope with yet another change and another oh one God. and another. Yeah. Change fatigue. Oh, change fatigue is, I think, a, a huge issue right now. And um, yeah. I think any sort of behavioural sort of things you can do to help people see something in a slightly more positive light. I, I'm beginning to think this is going to be um, one of our biggest challenges as we head through this decade is that the brain we know is able to calculate um, much quicker um, the negatives of a situation than it can the positives of a situation. Um, uh, Professor Alison um, Davis of um, uh, Professor Alison, oh, what's her? I'll have to look her up now. It's uh, she, uh, Ledgerwood, Alison Ledgerwood out of UC Davis does some fantastic stuff in this area um, for those who like evidence, um, who like evidence being things. But I think if we know that the brain has a predisposition towards the negative, it's our job, first of all, working on ourselves, that we have to find all the positives of the change that we're leading. And the second thing is that we have to help all those impacted by the change to find the positives, which are very personal. They are very mm. personal. They're very much, they're an individual view of the world, but we have to give people all the tricks and tips to help them find the positives for themselves. Um, because that is the way that you overcome change fatigue is you, you overcome it. You overcome any kind of tiredness through excitement, because if you sure. really want to do something, I mean, if you really want uh, to go and see uh, a particular rock band, you're going to stay up late into the night to see them. Even if you sure. got up at five o'clock in the morning because you had to work early, you know, any tiredness <laughs> can be overcome if you are motivated and excited. So it's isn't that our job? energy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> mm. Energy is a good word for it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Finding what energizes you. Um yeah, I think what you're talking about, I sat in on a webinar the other day um, and it was about change and how people experience it. And the presenter said that our brains treat change the same way we treat fight or it's that same fight or flight response when our brains first get introduced to change, um, that our natural reaction is the fight or flight even if it's not a bad change and it's a matter of how do we overcome that and compensate for that and move forward basically. So what you're talking about is basically shepherding people through that process. Yeah. And I think that at the heart of my job, I never forget the Gestalt model, which talks about competency and which says that, you know, up until the moment you're asked to change, you have an unconscious competence about the way you're behaving. So you have an automatic sort of habit. You know what you're doing. And we confront people. We make people feel consciously incompetent. Um, and that's that's a pretty tough thing to take. We sort of say, by the way, could you forget doing things the way you absolutely know how to do them? And could you try it a completely different way? I know that you're kind of busy, but um, and I know this is going to take up a huge amount of brain space. But would you mind awfully? Would you give it a bit of a go? Um, and, and that's what we do for a living. Um, and I think that therefore back to emotional intelligence and back to self. Um, a lot of the things that um, I include in the um, the agile um, 
change management training I do is about building your own emotional resilience. Um, and what you just said there was very interesting and in that because I, I think he's at the heart of it. Um, it doesn't matter whether ultimately the change is good or bad. We are still going to go through that sort of, oh, this is more difficult. This, this is hard work because transition, as you say, it's hard work. It requires uh, an awful lot of commitment um, to actually get through to the other side because you have to practice. You have to be prepared to make mistakes. You have to be able to pick yourself up and be prepared to have another go. I've just been uh, going through um, a house purchase that has uh, gone many twists and turns. Um, and I think, we, yeah, we, we're not there yet, but we've had some good news. We're, but we've had lots of bad news. It won't be, it won't be done till it's done. And, and that's the thing with change. It's, it, it can go off the rails at any point up until the point it's actually delivered and it's become the new way of working. How do you maintain that energy level? How do you pick yourself off the floor when it's gone horribly wrong and you have got to find an alternative way through because and I don't think this is just about change management now I think this is at the heart of business leadership for certainly this part of the 21st century that ability to go right things are oh that's unexpected didn't see that coming oh that's another body blow pandemic (laughs) absolutely um and it uh I've looked you know I I'm a planner I like to plan ahead and I have been looking at my notebook um since I came into lockdown here in early March in Spain which was a very severe lockdown we could only shop once a week uh we could not leave the house for any other reason than to put our garbage out um and you know it was pretty tough for for about six weeks and then it was slightly lessened and then over two to three week periods we got a little bit of freedom and back each time um and you know coping with that was one thing but I've also looked at all of the um, assumptions I've been making about how long would business be interrupted for um when would the new normal be coming um and today uh for example looking at um the feedback from a number of clients there is a general view and I'm I'm working globally so I have to take on board uh when borders are closed but there is a general view that the way things are going they uh, several countries are not opening their borders until the new year um, and so effectively, business travel, even if we wanted to do it, is off the table. Um, and I, I know for a fact, as I look back at my notepad, certainly in March, there was never this assumption. We, we kept thinking, um, I was working with a company where I sort of said, you can't do what you're planning to do uh, in July, because they thought if they could just postpone for a quarter, they could then do a big event in July. And I said, no, you can't. And I, I quoted back to them South Korea at that point, who had sort of uh, was was coping very very well with the crisis and had looked at sort of opening their borders again um, in their really their international sort of work in early September and I said that's the best you can hope for and now that we're heading towards early September I I know for a fact that uh, you know the organization I was working for um, absolutely has had to postpone everything and it's sort of saying we've had to write off um, 2020. Um, they are a, a big sports promoter and, and they're having to now look into 2021. Um, but I remember in um, late March how I was sort of, you know, my view of how much we would have to wait 
until things could get back to normal and sort of saying, no, you cannot go for the end of June, beginning of July. You'll have to wait at least until September was greeted with horror around the table. Um, and, and, and I think that if you look at no and i think if you look at every quarter i mean i'm now looking at things and going well i know there's a number of of, of organizations that don't want to hear things like no seriously i don't think we'll be doing anything much until the spring of next year because the answer is i'm not sure we'll be doing much until there is some kind of vaccine um right. and I, I think it's that resilience piece it's that oh there's another body blow there's another one and i think the this covid crisis is an example of that but I think in a very micro way, that's exactly what people experience when there is yet more change in the office. You know, organisational change um, comes in waves. If we're talking about agile change, we're doing wave after wave of change. And that's just for one change. Uh, we've got multiple changes on the go. And so if you look at any change, you sort of you're multiplying the amount of change we're putting into the business by four or five times, because if you do four or five waves of change for any initiative, you're upsetting the apple cart four or five times just right. to get one sort of thing altered. Um, so for that reason, you know, there's a that's a very factual reason why we need um, the, to, to handle change fatigue in two ways, excitement motivation is definitely one but i'm beginning to think that it is absolutely our role in change management to coach people into a state of emotional resilience and there are lots of little tips and tricks there are lots of neuro hacks you can do but i think it is about building grit and determination at the end yeah. of the day you know it's 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 all to do with um uh, you know, how, how do I actually sort of make this happen? Uh, I don't know if you know the work of Angela Lee Duckworth. She does the TED yeah, Talk on grit. grit. Yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, so grit is a, another word for resilience, really. Um, and I'm, I'm beginning to think when I'm in the hiring seat, um, we have a, a lot of conversations about hiring people who are sort of early adopters, who, who are really have the DNA, which says, hey, change is great. We should always be changing. That's really helpful. But increasingly, I'm starting to think that what I want to see in front of me for an interview is people who can uh, give me examples of how they keep going when the going gets really tough. In other words, can they describe to me uh, the techniques they use for maintaining their resilience? Because actually, resilience is becoming one of the critical success factors for any individual that we hire. Hmm. Yeah, that's a powerful tool to have in your toolkit. And I don't think it's, I don't think resilience is something that you can just, you know, there's no hack for it. It's, it's one of those things that you get with experience, I think, and reflecting and um, taking experiences and looking back and seeing how you would do them differently next time. Maybe I'm projecting there, but. <laughs> but I, I think that, but I, I think that what we have to do is that we have to help people with some very practical 
um, ideas about how to build their resilience. And I think that there's a lot we can do. Um, uh, and, and those are the kinds of workshops that I'm interested in running now. Um, because I think that it's all part of the, the change plan. Because if you happen to be the person who is planning and leading the change, then you are on the receiving end of an awful lot of people's resistance to change yeah. because they are so overwhelmed. How do you keep going in the face of all of that sort of overwhelming negativity? Um, and the second thing is, if you are the one who is impacted by change, and we all are, as we've said, the COVID crisis is one unexpected change after another, um, yeah. then how do you keep going when you're hit by waves of change? I've had a fascinating day today because I have had, um, there are three or four major issues. Um, I, I do some pretty big scale work and some of these issues go back to last summer. Um, the, the, uh, the fallout of a purchase of a, of a company, for example, there's been some big stuff. And uh, funnily enough, I've had um, several emails today where certain issues are now, after a lot of hard work, are starting to get resolved. The fact that they, it's taken over a year to resolve a couple of them is neither here nor there. It's just the fact that I've had some big pieces of information today and each one of those is so seismic that it sort of knocked me off course a bit and at lunchtime I sort of I walked out into the garden and thought I, I need to get a grip here I, I, I can recognize in myself that I am being impacted by the results um, and the uh, in some cases the achievements of others but the, I actually wrote to, to, to one of the, um, the finance directors who, who gave me some of the information that I need to deal with. And I sort of said, just, just to let you know, emotionally, this has had quite a big impact on me. It, it's a real surprise. It's, I can see where you're coming from. I totally agree with your analysis. But actually, um, I'm really surprised that we're going to go down this route. I always knew it was a small possibility, but it was such a small possibility that I had thought other things were more likely. Wow, I'm really surprised. Can you just give me a day or so, maybe over the weekend to process this? Because that's a big piece of information. And I think um, I'm trying to um, role model what I, I think that in change we have to do, which is um, that first of all, we need to sort of accept that sometimes the things we're asking people to do is knocking them off course. It is an unexpected direction. Um, that conscious incompetence that we're sort of throwing on them um, can sometimes make them think, ooh, now I'll, I know I'll bounce back, but I've had two or three or in fact four pieces of information of that sort of import today, that size and scale. Um, and I, I know that I actually need to go away somewhere Probably for me, it's walk the dog or go for a swim, do something um, typical sort of neuroscientific approach, which is do something physically repetitive while your brain sort of chugs along working out the big stuff. Um, oh, I, I love <laughs> Well, I love Virginia Satir's work where she talks about, you know, we talk about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talks about acceptance, getting to that point of acceptance. And um, right. uh, Virginia Satir talks about having the transforming idea, that moment when you go, okay. I kind of see how it's going to be. Okay, I, I get it. I get it. And you really have got it. it. Yeah, <laughs> you really have. Now, that's the big, the transforming idea, which is often you sort of wake up one morning and you go, right, I, I see how the world is going to be now. Um, yeah. And I, I really love her thoughts on that. And I think that 
repetitive physical activity um, while you're busy doing one thing. Um, if I'm really desperate for, um, uh, and I know that I'm, I'm in a tight spot in terms of getting my head around something um, that I, I've then got to sort of deal with, I might do things like um, uh, if I'm in a work situation, uh, that is the time that I'll, I'll take half an hour out and I will just sit there and I'll organize my emails. I'll do lots of deleting. I'll do lots of unsubscribing <laughs> of all the things in my junk folder because I'm what I'm doing is repetitive physical activity that makes order out of chaos because oh if gosh. I can put some order over here then the chaos yeah. that's in my brain might also sort of resolve uh, I mean I had um, one of these on a Sunday a couple of months ago um, nobody respects um, Monday to Friday anymore have you noticed there's no working yeah, week anymore <laughs> yeah and it was a Sunday morning and it was a big day here because it was the first day that we could really go out um, and it was the first day I could take my father out to see somebody other than me from about oh. two months. And I needed to be in a celebratory state of mind. And this email was so vicious, so nasty. Um, the, uh, the the president of the company is well known for it um, and, and actually is being hoiked out of the company as we speak because of it. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that it had a, a, a very negative impact on me. And it came in very early on the Sunday morning and, and I was taking my father out to lunch to see people. So I actually spent about four and a half hours. My office has never been so clean. Cleaner. Oh, I went through paperwork that I hadn't looked at in a couple of years. I was shredding things. I was filing things. I was deleting emails, you know, it, because and, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky because I've spent so long studying positive psychology, um, behavioral economics, um, neuroscience, that it all comes together. And you think, I know these tricks. I know how to make myself better. Um, and that is, I think, my passion now is, is passing those on to all of those that I'm, I'm coaching through change because I want them to have, you know, the, the, the best possible experience of what is going to be something that is quite disturbing. Because if any time you move from, well, I knew how to do that and now I've got to use this and I didn't know how to use this. I mean, um, I think an awful lot of people have, have, have had that on a very personal basis of suddenly learning Zoom or Microsoft Teams. Yes. You know, um, you, sure. you obviously learned Zencaster. Yeah, yeah. We've both got our dogs in our office uh, today yeah. and we've, we've both <laughs> had to sort of accommodate their needs. Um, and, uh, you know, it's we've we've all had our, our routines disturbed and um some countries are coming out of lockdown and there's lots of encouragement about going back into the office and people feel uncertain about that and some of them want to some of them don't and some others are going oh no it's we're not there yet it's too dangerous and right. you know there's all of that upset still to come i i think that um i, I was talking to somebody yesterday about how do we create um uh, a feeling of the end of the summer because like you said, blurs day <laughs> with the whole working week weekend. Um, I think that there's always been this sort of mythical when we come back in September, we'll get on and get stuff done. And um, I think it's going to be quite hard this year because we're not coming back from our holidays. We're not um, right. going back into the office, getting all dressed up into our, uh, our, our colder weather clothing and, and getting back in. Um, and I think there's something we can do about how we manage that change because um, I think sometimes it's about helping people to place themselves in a, a, a new environment 
Um, so one of my little tricks for that is sort of saying, you know, um, I, I've been coaching somebody um, and we've been talking about uh, the fact that you know she's going to sort of prepare a working wardrobe. She says, you know, during this lockdown, I've been wearing sweatpants and a T-shirt. And yeah, which is fairly normal, I think, for all of us. And she's got, and I'm sort of saying, well, what do you want to happen? What do you, what, what things can you imagine to prepare for a shift, a change, which says, do you know what? We're back to work now. Hey, let's get going. Um, and I sort of, I threw in, well, if you're at the start of September, you can easily also say to yourself, do you know what? 16 weeks to Christmas. And, and that will give you a focal point. And she's going to start. She's going to say, I'm right. And on the 1st of September, I'm going to start dressing slightly more formally than I have been. Um, and I'm going to do a few things to organize my office, she said, so that I'm going to I'm going to make some changes so that it feels like I've made a little shift. Yeah. And I think, yeah, environmental levers. I mean, everybody who's listening to this podcast will know that we're talking about the environmental levers for change. If you reorganize your environment to better reflect the way in which you want to be working, it's going to make it better for you. That's great advice. I'm looking around my office now. <laughs> I have some environmental levers I need to tend to. Um, no, that's great. I feel like we got all these different um, tips from you, and I really appreciate it. No, um, no worries. I don't know how long you want me to, to keep chatting. I've got lots I can say, but uh, no. um, <laughs> I love the no, fact that you're a two-day training call. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, I have it. Word too. Well, yeah, I have a two-day training course, and I, I, I love the fact that I am. Um, uh, you know, over the two days, we just do so much. Um, we do so many tips and tricks and techniques, and I think that's that's what's really good because it's all about. I think we're now at the point where it's um, the most important thing that uh, you know, if, if you're going to get on a, a course or you're going to develop yourself, it's all about yes, but will it teach me how to do something? Um, yeah. You can read a textbook if you want to know what to do um, or even when to do it, um, but you you really ought to be thinking, yeah, but am I learning how to do something? And I think podcasts like this are a really important part of that as well, is that it is part of our job to keep building our, you know, how do we inform all of our own tips and, and, and tricks and techniques? Um, I've been, uh, I've, I've got three textbooks on the go at the moment. Um, I'm really enjoying Dr. Sean Young. Uh, he's talking about uh, positive psychology and emotional resilience um, and neuroscience. I'm really enjoying uh, a book around the service automation framework. Um, and um, I'm really enjoying uh, rereading um, Accelerate from John Cotter. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of trying trying to bring a whole load of stuff into to my head um because I'm a, a big believer if you if you don't if you don't put something new in your own head you haven't got anything new to say so um <laughs> that would be my challenge for everybody listening to this podcast really seriously what have you done in the last few months that's put new stuff into your head you know and and are you doing something with it so maybe that's how I'll, I'll end this podcast I love it thank you thank you um I'm going to put, I will follow up with you and get the links. If there's anything that you'd like me to share about your upcoming workshops, I'm happy to. Um, I'm excited to hear that you're going to have something in the U.S. <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. I mean, it's Thursday and Friday uh, of, of next week. And, and the fact is, as I said, I start at 4 p.m. my time and uh, till 1 a.m., which might not be sound horrendous for some people, but um, I'm a morning yeah, person. Horrendous. 
I, I'm a morning person, so it's definitely, uh, and it's good for me because it, it actually pushes me out of my comfort zone. Again, we're back to that idea of where are you on the spectrum and can you satisfy the needs of other people? So I think that's yeah. really important. So yeah, kind of kind of loving that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got lots of additional resources if people want things. So um, people can find Melanie Franklin in LinkedIn um, and you can connect with me and I'll, I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. But I, I write lots of things. Um, I might have written eight textbooks, but I also write lots of papers um, and lots of articles. And I'm really happy to share. I'm an open source kind of person. So it's all about let's share our ideas together. Sharing knowledge. Um, Mel, thank you so much. I hope that you have a great rest of your week, month, <laughs> summer, fall. <laughs> yeah, Hopefully they don't go together. Um, well, let's do this again in the spring, shall we? Let's let's make a date to do this again in the spring and let's see what I said I would love that. here in the summer, whether or not any of this is, is coming true and whether or not we're, we're still learning and still developing together. That's a great idea. I will, um, I'll follow up with you in the spring. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much, Mel. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Or evening. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay.